This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. A great hand reached out of the dark and grasped mine for a moment, mightily and tenderly. I said to myself, the veil between, though very dark, is very thin. Hello, and welcome to The Thin Place, the Film Geek Radio podcast devoted to discussions of religion, faith, and spirituality in film. Your hosts for this episode are Ken Moorfield, that's me, and Todd Truffin, that's me. This is episode number 18 for June 2012, and our subject for this episode is Prometheus, the 2012 sci-fi horror thriller by director Ridley Scott. This is mostly not a spoiler-free discussion. Obviously, since this podcast is released on opening day, we're going to avoid any major surprises from the film as much as we can. We discussed it and figured with an action movie, we're not even quite sure what a spoiler would be, given you know scouring through the trailers to see what is revealed by the studio and what isn't. So, uh, if you're very, very spoiler avoidance, you might want to go see the film first. Otherwise, I, I feel like Indiana Jones. You either ch- trust us or, or, or you don't. We're not out to ruin the movie for you, but it, it's pretty hard to make a, a sweeping generalization of you can't have any spoilers. Full disclosure, we did have uh, an advanced screening, so we'd like to thank 20th Century Fox for providing the thin place with an opportunity to screen the film so that we could bring you our thoughts on opening day. Todd, I want to talk a little bit about expectations and how they shape our response to the film. What were your expectations going into Prometheus and where do you think those expectations came from? Well, truthfully, I tried to have as few expectations as I could. Obviously, there were some, it was, you know, it's Ridley Scott, well-known yes. director, and the director of Alien, the first film in the Alien franchise. As a fan of that film, I was certainly interested in him revisiting this kind of world that he helped create. You and I had watched, rewatched Alien couple weeks ago with the director's commentary and it was interesting to hear Ridley Scott I think in the 90s saying that he was really interested in getting back to explore some of the um, the elements of the alien film and you know where did the space jockey come from where did these various things come from so I was certainly expecting to, to have some of those questions answered since Scott himself had said he was interested in exploring that, what happened before Alien. The, the previews, I thought, were, were good in setting a tone and not revealing too much. I mean, it, it's an Alien film, so we knew that there was going to be big monsters running around killing people. Um, and hopefully a plucky female protagonist surviving and, you know, either fighting with or somehow escaping from uh, the Alien. So those were, that was pretty much my... My expectation, right, right there. Okay, I had more specific expectations, and that turned out to be not such a good thing. I, I think a lot of the marketing material surrounding the film had really pushed 
the phrase that I heard over and over again was Ridley Scott returns to science fiction. Mm. And out of that, I got two things. One is we're marketing this as a Ridley Scott film, not necessarily an Aliens film. Right. There's an acknowledgement there, but it's not Ridley Scott goes back to Aliens. It's Ridley Scott returns to science fiction. So we want to say this is a Ridley Scott film, not necessarily a franchise film. And with an underline of science fiction. One of the things we noted when we looked at the Alien commentary was that Ridley Scott was quite upfront about thinking of Alien as it not so much a science fiction film as a horror film. Right. I, I think he actually calls it a thriller, you know, but, but essentially this is a haunted house horror monster movie right. that's set in space, not necessarily a space film. That was in 79 that he made the film. His next film was Blade Runner, and his next film after that was Legend. And I think because of the reputation of Blade Runner, in retrospect, we tend to think of or remember, misremember Alien as being more science fiction-y, ideas, slow, and only really becoming a thriller franchise with James Cameron and, right. and Aliens. But in actuality, that's that's not necessarily the, the case. So I think that one of my expectations was that, oh, this is going to be maybe a little bit more of a science fiction film and a little bit less of an action film. And at least overall, full, you know, my initial impressions, uh, it, it, it wasn't. As a, I think there were some gestures there that we'll get into in a second. As a action summer action thriller, it, it packed a wall up and you know very well done exactly. as a thriller. As a science fiction film, if people are hearing that marketing and saying, "Oh boy, and another science fiction film from the guy that did Blade Runner," uh, there may be the expectations may be a little bit um, need to be a little bit lowered. Well, and that we start getting into this parsing of what what's science fiction, what's horror, what's this? I think another one of those words or pairs that we need to talk about that I know that we, coming out of the theater you and I talked a good bit about was I was, I guess I'm remembering now one of my expectations, I was looking for an origin story. Yes. And what the film delivered was probably more of a prequel. I, I agree. And so some of you know, my mixed emotions coming out of the film, I think we're, I had the expectation of origin. We are going to find out where did the aliens come from? Where did the space jockey come from? Where did all of these things start from? Mm -hmm. Some of those get answered. Some of them don't. It, it really is more of the prequel. It, not so much, we're going to go back to the very, 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 very beginning, but we're going to go to a couple of steps before alien. Right. Well, yeah, I, let's de deal with the prequel origin thing first and maybe come back to the science fiction. Yeah. Because for me, that's a fuzzier line. Well, prequel, for me, suggests the primary concern is putting the pieces in place for the subsequent, i.e. previous mm -hmm. film... Uh, if I think the Star Wars episodes one, two, and three are very much prequels, they were made after the fact, and the primary concern was uh, how to get all of these 
elements that were in episode four in place. And so a prequel is a little bit more concerned with what is the space jockey and how did it get in this particular position? Right. Uh, how did the aliens get on this particular planet? Were they indigenous or did the ship crash there? And I think those questions are answered. And origin stories, to me, suggest a, a deeper or broader interest of, well, where do these things come from in general, a more cosmological mm -hmm. origin? What is the beginning of the story and not just what immediately preceded the story that we first had? Is that... I think, I think your definitions are right on. I think perhaps some of my frustration was that even in the film itself, I'm not sure that the film knows what it's doing. Because the opening of the film, which is grand, um, one of the things we can say about the film, I think just up front, is I mean, the visual mm -hmm. picture, the images that you see are, are just grand. Um, right. And, and beautiful. Um, and it, it has a feeling of an origin. Right. And, and yet... And, well, Ridley Scott said in the commentary to Alien that if he went back, one of the things he would be interested in was an origin story. And I, I, I'm with you. I think the first 20 minutes, you know, was the parts that are on Earth had a sense of wonder that was very science fiction-ish. Yes. Uh, it wasn't particularly new in terms of its ideas. Uh, the basic premise is Numi Rapace and um, her partner... Sure, they're an archaeologist team, and they discover some cave drawings, supposedly in Scotland, right. but they've discovered other cave drawings, and each of the cave drawings uh, point towards a planet that suggests that extraterrestrials have been here during pre-civilization. And it's all very 2001, even to yes. the getting up of the uh, first contact, getting up to there, getting up to the planet, saying, well, okay, we've left a map or an invitation to come see what these beings are and why they left these drawings and what their relationship is. In a very fuzzy kind of way, she becomes convinced. Her name is Shaw, Elizabeth Shaw. Elizabeth Shaw. You know, she becomes convinced and her partner become convinced that these aliens are going to have the answers to the origins of human life. Like, I, I'm not exactly clear what... That seems a big leap to me. No. But they go from the aliens were here to because they were here, they will be able to give us answers about how life began here, not just what life was like here. And then Wieland, the elder business tycoon who funds the mission, played by Guy Pierce sort of then becomes convinced that they'll not only be able to tell about the origins of life, but about what happens when we die. And, and, or even and, how not to die. Yeah, and almost describing godlike qualities uh, to them, which seems to be a huge lapse. In there there seem to be a couple of dots missing in that sequence <laughs> because they're, they're so... I think they're in a hurry to get us to the planet right. and the aliens... I have heard rumblings that there was a lot of material left on the cutting room floor and we may be in for a Kingdom of Heaven type situation of maybe a director's cut with an extra hour or so that that fills those 
those things in. Which would be just like Blade Runner, uh, 14 so, different versions. Right, but my point <laughs> is is that it starts off as an origin story, right. I, I think, or has intentions of being an origin story. But once it gets to the planet where the space jockey and the aliens are, I'm not going to say they're not interested in developing they don't those questions or they don't have answers to those questions, but it pretty much becomes in the last half of the film of, of well, that just gets thrown out the window. Right. Uh, um, well, yeah, once we have the familiar alien creatures, alien, the, uh, the violent alien creatures show up, we're, we're back into familiar territory, and it's the survival and, mm-hmm. you know, the, 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 the kind of action thing that we're going to expect. And going back to the prequel versus origin story, maybe one of the things that makes it feel like a prequel to me is that that setup for the origin story ultimately seems to me to be a pretext. It's, it seems to me to be a red herring yeah. of... of we need some excuse to get them onto this planet, and this is the excuse that we chose. Right. But really, the purpose of that backstory is to give them some motivation to go, not to introduce themes that the rest of the film sure. is going to uh, is going to answer. I'm, I'm not going to say that they don't make gestures towards it while they're on the planet because they do. But but it, the main concern once you get to the planet is to find the alien and then have you know chaos reign. Yeah, that and that's even really, I think, demonstrated in the middle section, which is the weakest part of the film for me, because as scientists, they don't know... It seems like the script doesn't know how to get them from, okay, we're there, to let's get the dominoes falling, and so they kind of quickly go from being scientists uh, to a bunch of rooms walking around the planet saying... Hey, there's an alien creature. Let's go up and pet it. Or, you know, here is a here is a room of of eggs. Let's alternately say don't touch something, but let's walk around in in it and not be secure. I, I get that it's a prequel, so that they're not supposed to know that they are aliens. But there are reasonable protocols that anyone who right. would have seen science fiction you know, in the 70s, 80s, or early 2000s would know about exercising reasonable care when you're in a foreign environment. Well, it was interesting. I, I rewatched Alien 3 mm-hmm. um, the other night, and there you have a situation where, yeah, you've got a bunch of people who don't know what these creatures are, um, these prisoners in Alien 3 on the planet. And initially, sure, they have no idea what's going on, and... They're just bumbling through doing their normal jobs as they start getting picked off mm-hmm. by the the alien. But once they figure out, oh, there's something out there trying to kill us, it's, it's amazing how these uneducated prisoners who are pr- portrayed as being pretty just barbaric are able to at least have some sense of self-preservation mm-hmm. and... Act intelligently. You know, we're not going to go wander off by ourselves down dark hallways um, when there is a, a beast loose. Get a buddy. <laughs> Get a buddy. Have a flamethrower. Do something. Right. <laughs> For scientists, they're they're not off. The Prometheus scientists aren't very well smart. Right. Well, now there's a little gesture towards explaining that in David, the android character, 
which is part of the whole mythology of the android has been programmed perhaps for a different right task or for a different concern and um i think that that's also there's a little gesture of that you, it wouldn't be an alien franchise movie without anti-corporation rhetoric and right. so um Charlie's Theron is sort of a mysterious not captain but overseer you know you know, corporate equivalent of the Russian party member who accompanies every <laughs> expedition has a big speech at the beginning in which she says to them as they're approaching the planet, you're employees and we're on a need to know basis and we paid a million a trillion dollars to get you right. here. When you pay a trillion dollars, you can do whatever you want, but uh, you will now follow orders and do what we say. And yet once that's established, that her job is to sort of be the the eye-in-the-sky architect, she doesn't really uh, follow through on that much at all. Let's go back to the, the science fiction for a second, because that, I think, might segue into some yes. of the faith concerns that we had wanted to talk about. I think, to me, science fiction is marked by one of two things. You know, you can define the genre in that Ursula Le Guin way of what she calls a thought experiment. Uh, what if we right. postulate an idea and then we try to logically work out the, if this were true, you, you sort of in good science fiction, you get one stipulation, you get one thing right. that you can change. There are two suns, there's an alien life form, there's whatever. And if you did that, what would be the logical implications of that story. The other sort of way of thinking about science fiction is a more allegorical uh, way of talking about something that you don't necessarily want to talk about in real life, but by putting it in another setting, you can take human or contemporary problems or issues and get a different gloss on them because it doesn't appear that we're talking about us and we're right. talking about a made-up world. I'm thinking about the way in which Invasion of the Body Snatchers might be the Red Scare or sure. Terminator might be about, you know, fears of machinery, you know, machinery or machines uh, gone amok. Well, and even um, I've been rewatching the Star Trek Enterprise TV series mm -hmm. and they have a whole little plot line about the Vulcans of the period who felt that mind melding was some forbidden practice and those who do it are ostracized mm. and it is an incredibly you know a lot, a lot more heavy-handed than i think some of those other examples but very much a clear discussion of homosexual behavior in our current state okay. and it, it just mirrors you know those things very well so yeah it's a, a way of talking about big issues that might be hot button things that if we just come out and said oh we're going to talk about homosexuality people just start, you know, whatever side they're on, have an emotional response, you know, the idea of maybe we can put it in a different setting and right. we can So I think things. Prometheus's attempt to be science fiction uh, starts off with, we're going to have these big questions that sometimes are hard to talk about within our culture. Sure. Questions about evolution, about the origin of human life. Where do we come from? Um, Why are we here? You know, the the archaeologist concerns and the corporate assumption that the humanoid aliens, I think that they're called engineers, the engineers yes. in the film, may be godlike or have created life on Earth. 
leads one of the crew members to say, sure, if you discount 300 years of evolutionary knowledge. Uh, so there are these gestures of a faith versus science conflict right. or concern about in what ways is science a religion, you know, that you put your faith in um, what you've been taught is true about evolution as opposed to what new evidence is being, is there? Uh, is being willing to tell us. What would you do if you yeah. met your maker, if, if in fact this were true and you were convinced that someone created human life? And you had an opportunity to talk to them. What would you, you know, what would you say? What would you ask? So I, I think that the science fiction elements are very faith oriented and have that overlay of ways of mm -hmm. talking about religion and, and big questions. And, and is therefore natural for the Thin Place podcast. What did you think about the development or not of? the treatment of religion or religious faith or, or any of those science fiction uh, faith ideas? Well, it's kind of interesting. I mentioned a couple days ago I, I rewatched Alien 3, which features a group of prisoners that have embraced a, a kind of theology. Um, it, it's In the first four Alien films, it's the one that has the most very obvious religious concern um, about these guys. And... As I was watching it, I, I was feeling about it pretty much the same way I, I came out of Prometheus feeling, which was, it seems to me that there are gestures. There are, oh, here's a big question. Um, we're even going to make some stabs at, you know, showing that, oh, look, we're asking these questions. But I didn't feel that there was much development of no. an answer or even suggesting an answer. I mean, the clearest thing in, in Prometheus, we we get this little theme that gets sets up early with Elizabeth Shaw when in a, in a conversation, she basically says, well, this is what I choose to believe. And that gets repeated in various ways throughout the film of people just saying, well, whatever, maybe this is what I choose to believe right. as though that's the same thing as faith, I guess is what, where they were going. Um, and then David, the, the Android at various points, kind of pushes back against that. And very specifically... How do you know? How do you know? Or in the midst of, you know, as will always happen in an alien movie, when the aliens start killing people left and right, um, and there look, appears to be no hope, mm -hmm. you know, David really comes back on her and says, you must feel like your God has abandoned you. Mm -hmm. And she just said, no. And then, but there wasn't any, like, well, what is the foundation of that faith, of that belief? Yeah. I, I mean, I think... To me, the best scene that develops those big questions is before they get to the planet and David, the android, is talking about what they hope to find. Right. They say, why, you know, we want to know why did, what, what were you asked? Well, why did you make us, you know? And David says, I think, you know, what would you say to the someone like the Android, why did you make me? Yeah, and uh, it's not Elizabeth; it's it's her partner. Says something like, "Well, we made you because we can," and he says, "Well, I wonder how disappointed you would be if they if they said that." Uh, so, I mean, I think there is some some element of creation, and there are gestures towards 
distinguishing God and the role of God from simply being whoever created mm-hmm. created you. There is another point in which one of the characters says anyone with half a brain and a swath of DNA can make life. Right. Uh, so that can no longer be what we think of as being godlike qualities because now allegedly we can make life. Although there was a part of me that objected from a Christian perspective and said, you know, the Bible insists that God made life ex nihilo. That you know, it's an important Christian doctrine that God well, creates out of nothing. Right. Not. But she also makes the point of you know, in terms of the engineers, like, well, who made the engineers? Mm-hmm. You know, coming back. Right. And, well, know, if they made us, who made who, who made, made them? them? You know, where does which is that conceit of there's always an, another door, you know, that, that to me is more worthy of the TV show Lost than, yeah. it, than Who a Ridley Scott it? movie that, that, oh, we think we find an answer, but that, or the X-Files, we think yeah. we find the answer, but that just, you know, pushes the question back at a, another level. Which I think gets us to, I mean, the, the level of development on, in this film is pretty much that level. Yes. I, I, and I think I, I do want to pick up on what you said about it's what I choose to believe. Yeah. Because I think in some ways I'm getting more and more convinced that Scott or the f- screenplay may be interested in raising these questions. But I don't know when they get to the planet if it's just we're no longer concerned with those questions. Or we don't know how to answer those questions. And so all of the action becomes a way of glossing over the fact that our answers are fairly superficial. What I choose to believe, it's a very late 1990s, you know, postmodern sort of division of, well, faith is just an arbitrary thing. I choose to believe something. And science or rationalism is basing your beliefs on the evidence that you have before you. I think actually, in a sense, historically, faith has always been not just blind faith, right. but you know, a reasonable faith. I can't prove this, but that doesn't mean that there's no evidence. That there is a point in the film where they're in caves or underground, and there's some concern about terraforming, and the surface of the planet is supposed to be unlivable, but within this zone... You're, the air is supposed to be breathable and one of them goes to take off his helmet and she says, Elizabeth says, don't be an idiot. And his response is, don't be a skeptic. So the mark of a scientist is supposed to be, no longer supposed to be, oh, I'm skeptical until something, until I have evidence. It is, once I have evidence, I have to be willing to act on it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think there are problems from going back to reasonable caution of what we don't know in there that 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 can be reckless for other reasons other than just belief. I don't trust the instruments or I don't trust the readings, but they seem to be wanting to set up this whole central dichotomy of of belief ought to be something other than simply a choice, you know, or, or belief is just a choice. But then there are other places in the film where they seem to get away from that that notion or they seem to acknowledge that no choices that we make 
are simply blind choices. The, the, when it, the word choice is used in reference with belief, it always seems to imply a certain level of arbitrariness. Right. You know, I've got an array of religions set out before me. Christianity, Islam, Buddha, you know, Zoroastrianism, atheism, and I choose this one. Like unwrapping your birthday present, ooh, that's the one that I got. Yeah. Uh, the reality of the exchange with the oxygen says we make choices all the time, and they're, they're rarely arbitrary. They are, in fact, the choices we make about everything else that is not religion are based on this is the best evidence that we have, mm-hmm. and therefore this seems to be reasonable and the right choice. Now, what's interesting to me about the film's almost reversal of the religious and the scientific mindset is that within the film, the scientific mindset seems to be the most dogmatic. We're not, we're, we're not willing to question or give up our previous choices. Once we have decided something is true, then it is true even in the face of contradictory evidence or, or exercising caution. Whereas Elizabeth Shaw, who's the most faith-oriented person, is sort of saying, yes, this is what I choose to believe, but I think what I wanted then is I'm willing to change or alter that belief because I get more evidence that makes a belief more reasonable or changing my belief to be more reasonable. But instead of going there, it's always sort of like, no, this is what I choose to believe because the choice is always arbitrary. And I want a third path. I want a middle path that sort of says, no, I think there are plenty of religious people who are somewhere in between Elizabeth, sort of, it's all arbitrary, this is what I choose to believe. Right. No, I don't think God has abandoned me, even though I'm on this God-forsaken planet, <laughs> you know, chased by, God-forsaken, no pun intended, being chased by aliens. And the scientific belief of, you know, well, what I know is what I know, and I'm never willing to, to change my beliefs at all. Uh, well, and I think this is where, for the film, mm-hmm. you know, you asked the question earlier, Is is it, that they don't know the answer is that, and it it may be that Scott is really interested in these questions, mm-hmm. but the the world of Alien might just be the wrong place to be for him to be exploring this, because as you said, it's an it's a film in the Alien franchise, and even though it's Ridley Scott coming back to science fiction, it's an Alien movie, and in an Alien movie. There's always, you know, at some point we have, we have build up, and then at some point the aliens come on the scene, and when they come on the scene, as far for an alien movie, that means only one thing. Yeah, is that it? Then turns into this battle with the aliens, running away from them, the aliens killing people, and who who survives? Mm-hmm. And once that roller coaster starts. You there's know, no getting off. There's no getting off. Yeah. You know, you're on it for the ride, and you know, no matter how you got to that place, once you go over the top of the hill, it's it's what it is. I would agree with that. I think he's trying to do both, mm-hmm. and I think he does one successfully, and the other, as far the integration of a larger, more thoughtful, more intelligent, probing science fiction movie within the Aliens franchise doesn't really work, you know, it, yep. it sort of becomes a false start, and then the stuff that is an Alien franchise, he's a very technically adept 
he can orchestrator, right. uh, conductor. He can um, make a great action movie. Mm-hmm. He's proven this time and time again. So that part, flawless. But yeah. if you know, in terms of getting at the big ideas, this might just have been the wrong place for that. Wrong, wrong venue for that. Or if it was the right venue for that, then... It, well, it, if it was going to be, it needed to be perhaps an alien movie that was not an alien franchise movie. Yes, I mean, perhaps, because one would think that it could be done. Yes. You know, that you could integrate these large, you could go from plot action to more thoughtful philosophical movie within a franchise that's still be true to the franchise. I think Orson Scott Card does it, mm-hmm. right? And uh, going from Andrew's Game to the, the Speaker of the Dead. I one wonders, I'm reluctant to say whether or not Ridley Scott ultimately didn't have the talent to do, you know, to mm-hmm. integrate a more philosophical thing into the franchise, uh, which leaves me with, well, he had the talent to do it, but maybe not the wherewithal. Maybe it was sort of like, I know there's going to be a certain portion of the audience that's the bigger portion of the audience that says, we want an alien movie, yeah. you know, and we care more about an alien movie than, you know, we care more that it's this thing than this other thing. And so if we're going to perhaps disappoint one set of fans, which set of fans is bigger, right. and let's not risk... You know, getting the people who say, ooh, a new Alien movie, and they say, well, that was kind of thoughtful and a little slow and well, ponderous about ideas. So yeah. they, they got plenty to go for. And and if there's going to be people who are disappointed, it's going to be a little bit people like me who are like, okay, great, but if I'd, I, you know, if I wanted to rewatch Aliens, I could have rewatched Aliens. Sure. Um, I wanted something a little new or a little different, and I what I got, I felt, was more of the same. Done very well, but ultimately more of the same. And I come back to this rewatching I did of Alien 3, mm-hmm. which I think in that film, David Fincher was the director. I think he was running into the same problem, except that in his case, the, it was the company. It was yeah. Wayland <laughs> who came along and said, no, sir, you're not going to be able to do a thoughtful piece. We want an action movie. Right. And all of the stuff that he sets up in the beginning of that film that could have been thoughtful, could have been interesting. Mm-hmm. As soon as, you know, at some point, again, they go over the hill and it's back into alien killing right. survival mode. Um, well, I do think that one difference between Fincher and Scott, I mean, I think they're both very accomplished filmmakers. They both yeah. won Academy Awards, is that... Fincher is inheriting a property right. that was created by someone else. And so, whereas Scott, I think there's almost that double pressure of the, almost that George Lucas thing of, well, you went back and you're going back to this thing that you created it. Right. And, and I do think ultimately that maybe isn't fair to Ridley Scott because I do think that it's the company ultimately, well, we got James Cameron, we got David Fincher, we got... You know, if you want to come back to this, it's not it's it's not his in yeah. the way that that Ender is Orson Scott Cards because it's because uh, he's only really done one movie and right. you know in a five or six movie franchise, four Alien movies, two Alien versus Predator movies, he's only done one movie, and yet people think of it as being his because 
his was he first. was the first, and so that's almost this impossible task of of it. It, it hurts more when he sort of gets eaten by the machine <laughs> that he created. Uh, it, it's it's almost metafictive in, in a way because the alien story is about you know creations. Of, it's a little bit of that Frankenstein element of creating something that then gets away from you. Exactly. Exactly. I've talked mostly about my disappointments with the film. I feel like I should say that it's not a bad film. No. Really what I've been dealing with for the last three, four days since we've seen the film has been there is a difference between this was not the film that I wanted and this is a bad film. I'm realizing as I talk myself through it that this was not the film that I wanted. That doesn't mean that it's a bad film, but I'm probably giving people the impression that it is. Can you defend the film a little bit as we um, draw to a close? Well, it was I mean, a, yeah. Who's going to like this film? Who's going to like this film? Who's going to be happy? Um, I think your your casual summer moviegoer will be will be pleased. Certainly, compared to the other summer films that we've seen, I think this is. I I, I really like the Avengers. Um, this is right up there. It's certainly action packed. The the visuals are fantastic. The the world that really Scott creates is just gorgeous. Um, and the you know the the familiar parts of the alien story are all there. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, we've got the android. Who, who can he be trusted or can he not be trusted? Um, we've got you know this discovery of a new place, um, which one of the comments I made to one of the marketing reps at. at at the end of the films, I, I felt a real sense of that, that kind of sense of wonder that we, of discovery that is, is a great part of good science fiction. Um, I felt it, at least in moments was there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's there. That's going to be good. If you're looking for just a good scare, it's there. Yes. I do think that, that I'm hesitant to say so because, I'm not from within that group, but I think horror fans yeah. will like the because it is horrific. Yeah, um, and it is horrific in ways. It's harder and harder with the advent of horror porn of really doing something that is truly horrifying. And there's a scene involving a medical procedure that's as shocking and as horrifying as you know anything I can think of right. since 1979 when the. <laughs> Chess Tiger came out of that. I was just say, fans of Alien, yeah. the first film, are going to, you know, they're going to find a lot here that's familiar, and yet it, 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 it's made with modern movie technology. Um, it does look better. Yeah. Um, I, 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 will say, I was concerned going in that with all of the, the CGI and all the stuff that we have now, that because there is something wonderful about that 1979 Alien with all practical effects, and it just looks so gritty and real. Mm-hmm. And I was concerned if how Scott was going to pull that off. And in some ways he doesn't, but he doesn't try to. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, this is a new ship that's going on this journey. So, you know, it looks new. It looks new. But it's he still maintains a level kind of a humanness within, you know, the, the CGI doesn't overwhelm you and make it feel like, oh, this is not a human story. Um, so I, I thought that was good. Okay. Um, on the other hand, I, I will say that there are, well, as we were walking out, I was listening to all the other people around us, and there are nits to pick 
Um, as we've already mentioned, some of the scientists aren't acting very smart. Um, in, which, in this case, it's very much in the horror genre where we have, I mean, nobody takes a shower and puts on high heels and then goes walking through the woods, but... But, but pretty close to but pretty the, close. the equivalent of it. Yeah. So, I, I definitely, what, I, what I'm hearing is uh, lower your expectations a little bit, but if you're, if you're not wanting to think too hard about yep. it and just experience it. A summer blockbuster Experience film. it viscerally. Uh, a lot of thrills, a lot of shocks, you know, a lot of horrors, uh, and very well and, and competently done. A, a, a solid entry into the Alien franchise. For those that were very, very disappointed with Alien Resurrection and the Alien vs. Predator films, I mean, this is not that. That's true. I, You know, I hadn't thought about that, but that might be a good place to leave it, which is it, it certainly it was not the film that I wanted, but really neither was Alien 3 or Alien Resurrection <laughs> or Alien vs. Predator, so it, 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 it washes a little bit of the bad taste of those out, out, of, <laughs> out, out of my mouth. And might actually set things up, well does actually leave things open for the possibility of a sequel or other franchise films in a way that other prequels don't. Right. You know, I think that that certainly there's the prequel element of, okay, things are in place on this planet for Ripley and Dallas and then Astromo <laughs> to come and discover things. But there are also they're not threads gonna, that can yeah. be followed elsewhere. Yeah. They're not going to have to tie themselves in knots mm-hmm. like they had to in some of the other Alien films to come up with another story. Right. Okay. Uh, anything else you want to add? Not really. All right, Todd, thanks for joining me. If you have your own comments about Prometheus or our podcast, please feel free to come by... Film Geek Radio on the webpage and leave us a comment. You can also send us an email with comments or suggestions for other podcasts at the thin place at filmgeekradio.com. You can also follow me, Ken, on Twitter at twitter.com backslash Ken Moorfield or read my reviews, including a link to my review of Prometheus at Christianity Today at the number one more filmblog.com. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah!